Brandon Weiscarver is a New York City-based artist focusing on virtual reality art. After starting his career in fine art at Marin Community College in San Francisco, Brandon moved to New York City to find work as a creative, doing anything with fine art. Eventually, he found work as a janitor with the Con Artist Collective and worked his way up to becoming their studio manager. He parlayed that experience as a studio manager with the Con Artist Collective into where he works currently as a studio manager at Solus Studio. Brandon really enjoys being able to help a lot of different artists across different disciplines as he forms his own. Currently, Brandon has garnered a healthy following on TikTok where he makes virtual reality art in only a few minutes, describing art history in the meantime. This was a very fun conversation with a man who is not only talented, but also well-read. Without further ado, let's get started. Wow. Sorry, apologies. Oh, <laughs> you're good. No worries. Yeah, cool. actually, horse bow archery is what I'm going to do. You said horse bow archery? Like yeah. riding, riding a horse and shooting? Well, I don't ride a horse, but it's the, um, it's the type of bow. Oh, okay. It's like a bigger bow. It's actually the smallest in history, which is the Turkish bow. Oh, really? And, uh, it's meant for like moving around on a horse. I don't use a horse, but there are places that kind of have like horses, um, horse uh, saddles. Okay. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Um, all right. So I went ahead and pressed record on the uh, okay. thing. Um, so yeah, I just have some questions. I'm, yeah, I'm still waking up. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, me too. It'll, no. it'll, it'll start to come together. Uh, yeah, that's what I was saying. I was just so so tired uh, from this jujitsu. But okay, so I'm gonna try type in the Turkish bow. Yeah, it is a small little guy. Well, it's funny. I have a Turkish bow and a Japanese bow, and they're both the smallest and the largest bows in history. Which one do you think? I mean, I just feel like this one would be a lot more lethal. You can whip it out like a switch. Yeah, it's a it's very uh like punchy and and quick. That's pretty cool. I could see going down the rabbit uh, the yeah rabbit hole today on bows. I love Saturdays uh, yeah. just for like watching YouTube, watching YouTube and like I don't even watch uh series. I just watch like history stuff basically. Mm. Which is, you know, it's a little nerve-wracking when a white guy loves history, but um yeah. I think that it's uh it's just so much more interesting to learn about the and geography like modern stuff. Uh, and yeah, Turkey's been in a place that I've kind of like, you know, growing up, you're like, oh, Turkey sounds like an animal. But you realize how big this, they're like the last empire to fall, the Ottoman Empire. And right. uh, they've just been around and you meet some Turkish people. You're like, oh, y'all are pretty cool. Y'all's food's interesting. So um, yeah, it's I, I a guess, beautiful place. And this bow must have been pretty useful if there's such a resilient uh, uh, kingdom throughout history. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that's an yeah, they're they're very um, uh, uniquely like archery is a very big part of the history in the past. And there's actually a sultan who declared some area in Turkey as like ruled by the archers. Like it's a special sovereign archery nation in a uh, way. It's like so just a cool. courtyard. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's awesome. So they're very much into that tradition. That's sick. Have you um, 
Have you been to Turkey or anything? Or have you traveled very much in general? Actually, no. You know, that's one of the things I'm, you know, very into cultures. And I, you know, on the internet, I learn a lot and I meet people from all over the world. And I've done like virtual tours of all places, but I've actually only ever been uh, to Mexico outside of the United States. I went hitchhiking now through like Guadalajara. I've been all over the entire United States, but I've actually never been to Europe, even though I have an art show coming up in london oh nice uh, at the computer at the computer arts center so that'll be your first time to go well i'm not actually gonna, gonna go. go i'm just gonna send <laughs> okay, some nice. artwork there nice. actually it, it's funny how that thing came together it was um my friend adrian uh who i've known for a long time does interior photography and street art he was trying to do some nft project and he was kind of like hey uh you know look at the stuff and you know what do you think uh, and he had this work that I had never seen that nobody had ever seen. That was this old digital work from the eighties. And I was like, what's this about? And he was like, well, I used to work on this thing called the Quantel paint box, which was like a quarter of a million dollar, you know, uh, video and photo editor, like one of the very first things to ever use like a light pen, uh, or, you know, to be able to edit, uh, vid photo with. And he was one of the very first photographers who like ever specialized in digital imaging. You know, before it was actually mainstream or, you know, used a lot. And I was like, this stuff's fascinating, dude. Like, this is the stuff you should be pushing with digital stuff because it's got this inherent historical value in it. And next thing you knew, he ran with that. He rebuilt a, a, a Quantel paint box. Quantel just closed their factories like like the last year or something, a couple of years ago. Um, so he rebuilt this paint box machine that, and, and he started discovering all of these old pieces from artists like um, um, uh, Keith Haring and uh, all these huge names basically mm. uh, had this never before seen paint box work. So he cobbled together the show uh, and is like kind of telling this untold history of the paint box. And because I helped him like kind of spurred him along with that, he had me over to Jersey and I like made a little doodle on it. And that's going in the show with all these huge artists. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. I love that it. is pretty awesome. Is that, um, who'd you say was your friend? Uh, it's Adrian Wilson. Uh, oh, okay, and okay. you can find out more about that show at the Computer Arts Center, uh, which is in London, I believe. Uh, that's pretty CAS. cool. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. And Quantel Paintbox. It was like a that thing is just it was really fun. I I was really shocked when I played with it because I noticed a lot of the same tools and I had a really familiar feel. So it's really like the it's this you know progenitor of all this cool digital uh, concepts. Yeah, that is really cool. I love that. That could be like a documentary, especially yeah something that's like <laughs> he's making one too. Oh, perfect. Yeah. That's that's beautiful. That's like a perfect document type of material, documentary material of uh yeah, if like Keith Herring has some like digital art file and some other big time people that were just when did that software come out? Like in the eighties? It was seventies, actually. Late late seventies. Uh so wow. like seventy nine to eighty one. The computer uh, is so like crazy. Like yeah. I always I know, forget it that it's started. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um so how did you get into art? So I actually got into art. I have a funny origin story with art, which is I was homeschooled for most of my uh, education. And then I decided to go to junior college when I would have been like in a, a junior in high school. 
Oh, um, nice. And and I was there at junior college, and I first was going to be a music major. Uh, and I was finding that like learning theory of music was kind of taking the fun out of it. Excuse me, taking the fun out of it for me. And I had this really inspiring music teacher though, who ended up dying in class. Uh, and it was like pretty traumatic. Uh, he basically, I turned to my friend a week before and I was, cause he was so animated he would jump up and jump around and he would, I would lean to my friend and I go, this guy's going to have an aneurysm. And then no. a week later in fucking class, he has an aneurysm and dies. And I was like, I, I did it with my brain. I was like, I killed him. Oh my God. I was like, wrecked. <laughs> it was unreasonable guilt for like weeks. Yeah. And then, uh, they replaced him with a really boring kind of chamber music. Uh, focus like you know thinking your your ultimate goal in music would be like the second tier cello or something in an orchestra and i just wasn't having fun and so i, I kind of switched my major to art because i was having fun in my art classes and learning about you know color theory and composition and stuff was uh was felt like a less like rules that were you know so important to it it right. was different there was like it felt like more creative freedom whereas when you yeah. learn music theory it's like Oh, this is what notes go with this. Note. Yeah, that is the thing. <laughs> it's like you're yeah. in this key. Right, exactly. So art had a lot more freedom to it. So I started studying art instead and kind of switched my major to art. And that, I guess that kind of started me down that path. Uh was in school. So Katrina Wagner was one of my teachers. Shout out to Katrina. I love her. She was like one of the only art teachers there that actually taught anything. So I learned a lot of technique and uh, you know, art history from her as well. What was the name of the school? Oh, it's called College of Marin. It's a little junior college in Kentfield, California. Um, they share some great faculty with like Berkeley. Um, my art history teacher would train all the docents at the MoMA in San Francisco. Uh, and it was like, a, it, it was where um, uh, Will, Robin Williams went there for like six years as well. <laughs> so me and oh, Robin really? have the same like amount of years at this junior college. But then he went to Juilliard and I just moved to New York and started working. That's crazy. How young was he when he, he went to the to the college? I don't remember exactly how young he was, but he was definitely pretty young. It's before he went to Juilliard for acting. So he was there for a little while. There's a cardboard cutout of him in the drama department in a window near the bathroom oh, that scared the shit out of me every time I went up there. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, eh. so <laughs> like oh, yeah. fuck. Forget he was that's there. Pretty, that's pretty cool. Do you miss uh, the Bay Area? You know, honestly, no. I hate. I don't want to rag on the Bay Area. I love the Bay Area, but uh, I don't. I I like the energy in New York, and I feel like if I were going to move anywhere out of here, it's either you know Tokyo or Mexico City. I guess somewhere with like a <laughs> somewhere with population density. I like I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah I, I I visited San Francisco whenever I was like in eighth grade. Um, just incredible. Like I, I am a sucker for kind of like the hilly with the clouds and the bay like you know that to me is like the perfect like a, i haven't been to istanbul but i'd imagine you know that'd be incredible to go to istanbul or anything that's kind of like right where the water and the, the sky and the land meet but at the same time right. there's something to be said for high density i mean i went to ut austin it's nothing like new york city of course but for all intents and purposes it definitely felt like you know the biggest city that you could go to and living in west campus too like truly being mm. you know everything's a tall building and you know you're just it's a city of its own and uh i think even ut has their own like zip code one of the dorms has their own zip code uh 
and yeah, I mean, I slept like six hours all throughout college, just go, 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 go. And I've noticed, <laughs> yeah. that, I've noticed that recently that I'm like, man, I, I'm, I'm meant to be in like more of a challenging environment, like directly challenging mm -hmm. where there's a lot of people and you're communicating a lot and there's this flow where it's like everybody's trying to push themselves. And so you have to like get on board or you're going to get depressed or yeah. something. And I'm, I fit in really well with that mentality. Um, yeah, I just, I nice. think it'd be cool, but the, the, uh, Mexico city seems like a lot easier of a place to live than Tokyo. That's for sure. <laughs> maybe, like maybe my mom language. went to UT. My mom yeah, went to UT right. architecture yeah, in the seventies. Yeah. I love that. When I went to, man, uh, when I came to the Bay area, cause I originally kind of grew up in Southern California, actually, when I came up to the Bay area, I was like, oh my God, that's overwhelming. There's so many buildings. Like it's, it's very, it's dense, you know? And then when I got to New York, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so go back to the Bay now. It's like sleepy. There's like tumbleweeds going by. You're like, where did that come <laughs> right. from? Yeah. I literally, uh, I literally saw one in the sunset last time I was there. <laughs> really? Yeah, it is uh, Chaparral. Um, so you like the big city. Uh, how does that influence your art and your style? Well, I think that what I've been doing lately, um, you know, it, it's it's always been a big influence because my time in New York, I kind of break up into a couple different sections. You know, there's the before um, Con Artist Collective and after because I, gave, I got here in 2008, uh, but it would take me about seven years of working jobs and just trying to survive and find my apartment. And like before I found any sense of like community or art, um, art, you know, moving the needle on my like art career or whatever, or making work, I was always making work and like selling it at a coffee shop here and there, selling it in, in um, some sort of cafe or, you know, putting it up with a couple of friends or something. But it wasn't until I started like actually working for Brian Shevlin uh, over at Con Artist Collective, which is hard to research now because actually it's an unfortunate story that it, it got bought and, uh, and changed and then kind of buried a little bit. But you'll, you can find stuff about it still easily. Be. I think the Tumblr's still up. And uh, it was an amazing space that was like a shared art studio uh, and uh, gallery kind of space on the Lower East Side. And I ended up working there first as the janitor and then as the manager. And even when I was the janitor there and just hanging out kind of for free studio space, there was I met so many different artists that were had so many big influences on me that I would like literally be learning from them. Like it was an art school. Like I would just watch what people were doing and I would take elements of stuff that I like and kind of like do it in a nice tribute -y way where they didn't feel like I was just trying to bite their style or something. But I'd be like, Hey, let's make a piece like you. And we would just kind of like go back and forth with techniques and, you know, subject matter, sometimes actual collaborations where we're both working on the piece. Uh, and I just got such an education there about so many things, including how to make art, much less how to show it and how to, uh, you know, have a party and <laughs> how to actually run a gallery. Uh, I also learned a lot from in the studio from those artists there. So I've always kind of been known for not having a, like sticking to a style. Cause I kind of think mm -hmm. that you can't escape your hand as an artist. I know a lot of artists like stress about their style. They're like, I need a specific style. And that's kind of how I was before I got to New York and really got in it. Once I was really in the shit, so to speak, I was like, oh, this matters a lot less. Your hand is inescapable and you should just experiment and play before I got to the real, you know, community, before I got to real activity, I was kind of like, oh, this is a very strict 
style of painting I have. And I'm just going to do this exact style over and over again. Uh, and this thing I'm doing now with VR is probably the most consistent style I've had in a really long time. Cause I've been, I was just all over the place exploring and trying different stuff out for years. Mm -hmm. That's actually really, uh, really interesting. You know, I was thinking like, all right, if I were, you know, cause I'm talking to all these artists and I have a very creative mindset and very much more physical or visual than um, like literature or whatever, or even music. I enjoy it. But um, I was like, yeah, even, even if I'm interviewing all these artists, just there's something, there's a big gap. A, I don't actually make any art. But there's something else, obviously. There's a lot more to it. And you nailed it on the head of just like knowing, uh, A, like collaborating, obviously, with different artists and like being in a space, but seeing how they actually like are able to put on shows and how they're able to actually like do the full cycle, not just create the art, but then all like all the laughter and the drinking at the party or whatever and building up, you know, some, some momentum and then selling the art and having a good show for it and everything. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's something that definitely... Like if you're sitting around like that janitor position or the doorman at a comedy club or whatever seems to be, especially for like the hearted or like, you know, very direct mindset type of person. They're like, uh, you know, if they're set on doing that as a career, it always seems to be the common, the common uh, element amongst a lot of people is they get the chance to sit down and see a ton of different variation and constantly thinking about how they do it and also see like the whole circle multiple times of like oh this is how you actually like build it up sell it build it up sell it so that's interesting right even uh brian who founded connor's collective he was working at like lotus and a couple other like big nightclub places and a little like fancier of um restaurants and bar kind of vibe but he was thinking like he's meeting all the right people but not in the right context so eventually he would quote he would maybe go full time with the art studio which really just started as a, a way to like hang out with friends in the basement on on right. low street and like you know maybe buck around with some spray paint in the backyard or something turned into a a full-on artist collective at one point there was like 600 members it was like the biggest okay. art collective i think I in new york's history yeah that how many wild. people because i googled it and uh, i have this little ai thing of course i integrated to google and yeah i mean you're like yeah lower east side and as i was reading i saw oh, lower east side it's like yeah they like created a quick little summary for me the con artist collective is a new york city-based artist community founded in 2010 but there's 600 yeah. people in it that's pretty cool yeah that's one time that was the that was the biggest reach of it you know not everyone was super active or physically there but there was at least like 40 people milling around all the time and I met cool. some of my my um, most long term friends there. You know, I met people here in the city who I still are in contact with and still working with today. Mm -hmm. So that was that was like the big thing, of my break, so to speak. You know, it didn't make me rich or anything, but it made me uh, really get to interact with artists. And I, I am a very sociable person too. Like I don't. When the pandemic happened, I did not flourish, <laughs> so to speak. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, a lot of people were like, oh, I've got all this time. I've got all this space. Like, you know, now I can make my art finally. I just, just like society, like I shut down. I couldn't really? create. And that's when I got into archery, actually, is because uh, no, yeah, I, could, I could not fucking paint at all. Like, I right. like to react to society. So when it shut down, so did I. And I just shot arrows inside my loft for the <laughs> entire three months. <laughs> that's <laughs> crazy. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, it's a good time. I mean, it was... Uh, 
you know, everything aside, it was a beautiful time to like be able to figure out like, hey, I mean, no, no other time are you going to have this just pause in society where you get all the time in the world just to do whatever inside your apartment or you know, if you're if you're able to go outside and go do stuff. Um, I didn't make any art, of course, but I enjoyed getting high and going on bike rides. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, Always good. Yeah, exactly. Um, the moment that society picked back up, you were like back to painting or did it take a little while to pick back up? Yeah, no, like, um, it was because I started working for where I am now at Solis studio in, uh, 24th street and park, which is, uh, one of the people I met back at con who runs it. And um, that's where I've been working lately. And so we were kind of just chilling for the pandemic but we were doing a lot of the printing of the signs for like you know the stand like just a printing place so mm -hmm. it was like doing a lot of like the six feet back covid signs so i was working throughout most of the pandemic it really was like april of 2020 that like i didn't go to work and i didn't do anything otherwise i was like riding the subway and like the only person on the fucking train who wasn't living on the train at right. the time and uh so it was a little it was definitely bizarre to like be kind of working through it. It was like being in like a, a haze because I'm walking through Midtown and, and downtown and just there's nobody out. And I distinctly had that feeling of like, this was how I felt when I went back to the Bay. And I was like, nobody's uh, here. Ah! It's fucking empty. Why is it a tumbleweed uh, going by? I was like, now New York is just like any other city because I just walk outside and I don't see another fucking human being for, you yeah. know, like blocks. Uh, yeah. And it was really, really weird. So it was a slow thing, definitely. Um, I got into VR during the pandemic as well because I think like a lot of people who did get into VR during the pandemic, it was a it was an attempt to try and like socialize. Right. Like, right. oh, I'm stuck in my head. Let me slap this shit yeah. on and like go talk to people in cyberspace. And and so through that's how I got to what the work that I'm doing now. Uh, so I guess in some way it inspired it, but I was going to get into VR anyway. Let's be honest. I'm a big nerd. I've always <laughs> been into, <laughs> into digital stuff. Yeah. I'm, I just never, I just never, I never like, I never was able to find, I never found a way to like integrate my love of making art and technology surprisingly right. till like recently. And which is really strange when I look back at it because the entire time I was painting, the entire time I was like, learning you know traditional impasto techniques or you know mixing egg tempera or something the whole time i was into computers the whole time i was like you know i'd always been into computers so i didn't know i don't know what it really i think it was the pandemic that kind of switched it in my brain to be like oh i can do both of these things together oh that's awesome what the hell yeah, yeah. it's good yeah because everyone's like oh it's painting it's painting it needs to be painting and then the nft stuff blew up of course so when that blew up i was like is this the the, the digital art revolution and then i was like yeah digital art revolution oh geez. Uh, no not yet. <laughs> yeah not almost almost yeah We're almost there do you uh draw any inspiration from like tokyo or japan because whenever i look at it i think of like kind of like the asian symbol i don't know you get a lot of that same stuff yeah that is actually the funniest coincidence because uh it's actually an intentional reference to adolf gutleib who was like a germ jewish uh uh abstract expressionist painter from the 50s who would do a lot of like this big red circle uh and it's also a reference to the sold sticker that you put on your um on your paintings 
you know, when you're on the wall when you sell a work. So the Adolf uh, Gottlieb, Adolf Gottlieb and the Soul Sticker were like kind of my intention with it. And then everybody, I uh, so many people will be like, "Oh, that's like the Japanese sun. You must be like really into Japanese stuff." And I, I'm over here with like my Japanese bow, going like, "Oh no, yeah, not, I, I not, guess." <laughs> Uh, I, I I think it's unintentional, but like, yeah, I I I definitely am sort of a weeb. I'm a little weeby, but I uh, I never actually intended that with the paintings. And uh, I guess again, you can't escape your shit. Like, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it came and, up anyway. and the and the like the strokes. You know, they kind of look like Japanese. They do look kind of calligraphy. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say I say that I'm equally biting off Franz Klein and Adolf Gottlieb. Because mm-hmm. the the painting strokes are kind of like Franz Klein, and then the the dot is the Adolf Gottlieb reference. But it definitely does. I mean, I like that aesthetic. I do. I Brian, who started Connor's Collective, is now living in Ito, Japan, and brewing beer. And he's like, "Do you want to come brew beer with me?" And I'm like, uh, "Yes, <laughs> I do want to go." Dude, there, gotta I've go. Been, yeah, I've like never really been there, uh, but I, you know to karate as a kid and obviously Japanese anime culture and uh, manga culture is a huge influence on us now and has for a long time. I think I read recently that um, manga outs like one manga, like Demon Hunter or something outsold the entirety of the American comics industry. Uh, That does not surprise me at all. I mean, they they Mm -hmm. own the comics, especially nowadays, because it's not like we're making more comics of superheroes. We're just making movies, but there's such mm-hmm. more of a such a crafts mentality in Japan, dude. I would I yeah. would cut off my left nut, actually, rent my right nut to go to Japan for. Uh, okay, actually, I don't know if I would do that, but I would pay a lot of money <laughs> to go to Japan. I don't know. I was like, I'd have to stick yeah, with that. I but I, I, I mean, dude, I would. Uh, I had to think of a body part, rip out a tooth, and give me three weeks or a month. How's that? I'll take a trade a tooth for for a month in Japan. Um, you just I mean, trade your soul and go be a jet teacher. <laughs> yeah, I need to do. I need to. I need to travel there, man. It's been. I mean, from the age of like ten, just watching all the Travel Channel and all the food that they have alone. Plus, when you get older, you learn about their society and how clean it all is, and it just seems like one of the coolest, most incredible places would be like going to Tokyo or Kyoto. Uh, I don't know. It just seems Japan seems like probably my my number one destination. But I don't even think about it because I'm like the time zones. I kind of work there. The uh, the price is like through the roof. I don't un- understand any of the language. But um, yeah, you know, do, do you have a passport? Yeah, yeah, I have a passport. I can travel. I just don't. Uh, I. I like would I would go to England for this show, the Computer Society, if I could get um, away with it. But I think I'm going to be too busy in New York. I like the idea of travel, but it, it's one of those things. Like I'm in New York, I feel like I'm in the center of the world, and I fought kind yeah, of hard to hard. get here. Yeah, and uh, and I don't want to leave it very often. And that's uh, cool. You know, it's I like I really do want to go to Japan someday. But like I'm I'm perfectly to be honest, I'm perfectly happy just like watching abroad in Japan on YouTube tell me all about it from my living room and then go back out because you know i think we fetishize it a little bit because it's so different from our society right it's like the opposite right. of, of ours in a lot of ways so we think about like oh it's so it, they're they're polite <laughs> you know they don't talk <laughs> <on the train. laughs> like you know they everything's uh, about 
it's the opposite mentality of like us here uh, trying to be like, you know, individuals and we're all about our individuality to a point of almost like, you know, chronic narcissism. Uh, and then over there's the opposite. So I think that's something I appreciate about it. And I feel like the world's just getting smaller every day anyway. And I think the internet right. is like a place as well, honestly. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, especially if you have a VR headset or something like that. Plus, you can get uh, good Japanese food or whatever with where you're at. So there's no need to really go. One thing that is cool yeah. about going abroad and coming back is just looking at like the layout of the town or driving on the highways and come back and you're like, it gives you a fresh look at America. That's basically like, oh, this is really cool. Great. And then whenever you come back, you're like, Oh, this is our country. Like everyone, everyone here is an American. You're like, oh, interesting. Like every license plate's American. Like you just, you're like, oh, this is a country filled with. America. I don't know. It's the weirdest thing. You're like, oh, we have highways. Why? You know, I don't know. I just start to think a lot more about like the layout of like the land and how different it is. And I don't know. It's I love traveling, but it's fun for opening up the creative juices and all that jazz. Yeah. Um. All right. I've been doing a pretty bad job of asking the the questions regarding the business side of things but um i guess more specifically like was it with the con artist collective or was it before that that you knew you wanted to really turn this into like a uh, career like you're like i'm gonna mm. be an artist and i'm gonna do this even if i had to like do other stuff this is the focus yeah i well i came i have one of those classic stories like i came to new york in 2008 in a school bus with six paintings in the back and i was like i'm gonna be uh you know my goal my let's see my stretch goal was to be like a painter to be like a famous painter but i was under no delusions that i could just come here and do that um and so i had the mentality early on going in that i, I just had the goal to work in the arts somehow nice. whatever right. like you know whatever that pans out being because of the opportunities I'll be afforded or the things, the situations I'll put myself in. My goal was extremely vague and I just wanted to leave myself open to somehow work being an art person. And that just turned into what it did. Um, I think because I didn't get hung up on what I was doing, I wasn't hung up on, I'm not making my art, you know, I'm like, I'm working in gallery somewhere else. And I think the truth is that like in, in the art world, especially, you know, there's a lot of people who want to be the artist. They want to be the famous artist or whatever. There's a lot of work to be done on the other side. And so if you're willing to like put your ego aside and, and work uh, for others, then you can, you end up meeting the right kind of people that I feel like later on now I'm in that phase where I'm kind of exploring some of the connections I've made over the past 14 years into promoting myself more as an artist uh, yeah, and i feel like now i'm in a much better setting for that i've got much more bigger audience or receptive right. people that actually can do things for me like put me in this computer art show you know yeah yeah that's that's uh that's beautiful just a lesson overall with um uh getting in the in, like it's an industry regardless of if it's artistic or if there's different you know you have like a computer industry whenever you get in you realize that it's kind of um What's the word? Incestuous, I guess, right? Where like everybody stays in it. They're in it. They're around. Uh, they keep on, you know, they might go from one gallery to the other. I mean, I don't know necessarily with that, but most most industries, like if you're in it, you stick in it. 
And as you grow, like, I mean, just year over year, you're a part of a class basically. And then, I mean, you just get 10 yeah. years into it. You're like, oh, all these people I know have these cool different ways that they've grown their career. And and one other thing that I've noticed with a lot of artists and just with a lot of people in general is, uh, yeah, and people talk about it all the time. It's just like starting starting off, especially young, and then just like just doing it all. Like, like if you're going to be in a restaurant, you start off like grabbing the boxes and cleaning all the tomatoes and stuff and it's like this is bitch work i just want to be the beautiful chef you know it's like dude you gotta yep. earn it you gotta earn it and earning it mm -hmm. doesn't mean it doesn't mean just struggle it means you gotta earn it you gotta know how to do the very best at blanching and peeling a, a tomato and you gotta be really good right. at like maintaining the right consistency with your mashed potatoes and all these small little techniques that you pick up from other people and staying after and coming in early and uh yeah just, you got to be like passionate about it but yeah as you get older and as you keep a good personality because we're social animals and as you keep like growing and keep doing your thing yeah people eventually be like oh i remember whenever that guy was the janitor at the thing and now look at him you know and so it's right. yeah it's just kind of beautiful how that mentality of like kind of you know make me look good and i'll make you look good later you know type of scratch your back i'll scratch yours later or whatever um I think that's pretty big, something that I have not done in my career too much until recently, really focused on yeah. like, the more human aspect of it and, you know, asking as many questions and really trying to learn. Uh, so that's, that's really cool. That's, um, yeah. and it's clear it's working out for you. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just, it's one of those things where you just like hold in and you do it. And like, it's, I, I tell people all the time, like, you know, art is not a career. Being an artist is not like, um, it, it, there is an industry around art, 100%. But being an artist it, itself and almost working in the industry of the art world itself is like, it's a passion. It's something that you do. It's a compulsion more than it is a career because there, there's a lot less, um, you know, the, especially making art, I should say. When you're making art, like you, the people who, succeed as artists i believe are the ones who are going to be making art no matter what is happening to them you know no matter right. what the circumstances of life give them whether they're afforded a show whether people buy their work at all or people care or like it at all you're going to still be making your work no matter what it's something mm -hmm. that you have to do and the reason is like that's the idea of like an authentic artist right like somebody what makes an artist authentic is that they are um like a they have an obsession and their practice and they've done a ton of it right like it's like a gallery doesn't want to fuck with you unless you have like 200 pieces at least right. to, to yeah. pull from in case you start getting popular right um you know and then there's a lot of this I've, I've seen a lot from artists where it's kind of like i've got an idea i made a painting that i think looks pretty cool let me make like 10 and now i have to go and you know market myself and now i have to go out and like talk to gallery people and like try to get a show and it's like no no the, you'd get back in the studio <laughs> like you know, keep doing it and then they're like oh i'm surrounded with my work i've got too much work i'm failing as an artist because i can't sell all this work and i'm like martha i was in martha diamond's studio the other day and she had stuff that was like not the other day like actually like years ago two years ago but she had like stuff from uh like the 60s that had never been pulled out before you know oh, it's like there's yeah. like a 62 a giant painting from like 1962 that's like literally never been unwrapped because she's just been working and working and like you don't have to show everything that you do constantly you don't unless you make your work about the show which is kind of what i'm doing on TikTok, right i'm i'm making virtual reality paintings in two minutes while i talk about art history and the art the TikTok's the art it's the social 
aspect of it and the and the kind of abstract paintings that are more like artifacts of this process yeah okay. uh, and you know i now there's going to be a shit ton of them and that makes okay. there's a there's an inherent value in the well, that's what they say body of work you're talking about the body of work this giant mass of work that you've made you know the the reason you make this isn't to go run out and and sell it in a gallery and like and show it off and look really cool it's because you're exploring something you're running something to its natural conclusion where you know you you you've thought about this thing until you can't think about it anymore so you've said everything there is to say like painted every you know image of that boat or whatever the hell you're painting until you just like are just completely done with it and that's like that trope of like the artist who's sick with it and wants to move on and the gallerist is like no give me more these are selling if you're doing it right like you know you've got thousands of them already and you can just sit back and move on and do whatever the next thing that you know comes to your head is I like that to just produce a track. Like I kind of lost my track of food. Yeah. No, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Like if you're if you're an artist, you use out the art. Like if you're, and that's you know for everything. Like if if you're really passionate about it, and that's like what you're adopting to be your like what you do. Like you've gone through the existential thing. You're like, no, this is what I do. And then you do it. You just fucking do it, regardless yeah. of anything. Really, you just it's like you can't help it. You use it out. Okay, so whenever it comes around to actually pricing your art, um, mm. and how, how, what's your strategy with that? Oh, I love pricing talks. Um, I, I, my initial strategy when I first was trying to sell art, I was like, didn't know anybody, I didn't know anything what I was doing, so I was on the street, and my, my strategy for selling art on the street was always to look at the person's shoes and then um uh, speculate how much their shoes cost and then ask for half of that so if i looked like they had like a 600 dollars pair of shoes on it asked for 300 bucks for the painting and that worked out pretty well uh wow, and then smart yeah. yeah and then if they look they look like they had a 40 dollars payless shoes on it'd be like 20 bucks depending on what it was if it was something small right um, but pr- pricing is one of those things where you know one of the things that makes art interesting as a business is that it's basically what you can get. Uh, you know, you you can sell art so infrequently that you need to maximize how much money you get from your sale. So even people like uh, John Curran, who like after moving here, you know, I ended up like dating somebody who lived in a loft below him. And I got to meet him and stuff, which was blowing my mind. But he makes like, you know, his stuff goes for like 500000 a painting. Uh, and so he's making a mill at least a year, but he's only selling like two to three or four, but you only have to sell two or three to four if it's, you know, if it's that much. What's his so, name? John Curran. Uh, it's C-U-R-R-I-N, I believe. It might be one R, but uh, he just kind of like, if you look just John Curran, oil painter, he just kind of like new, new um, neoclassical, sort of distorted stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's one of the most, he's one of the highest paid, you know, contemporary painters that I knew of. And it, it, it's, a, it's that kind of like get what you can mentality goes, you know, very far. But I was actually I've always been telling artists for a long time, like that you should ask for more for your originals. I and I feel like artists have this desire to not be pretentious they're like i don't want to be pretentious i don't want my stuff to cost a ton of money because i'm not interested in the art as a investment vehicle you know they have an awareness of this 
that that people use art at it's at the highest levels of the art market as like investment vehicles i mean look you got all these companies now that are like selling fractional ownership of like a picasso they're right. like you know you can you can buy a p like an nft that's not an nft it's like you can't have the painting you can't hold it in your house but you can use it as an investment thing and when the recession hits gold and art are the one things that the things that go up so it is an investment object uh, it can be like that but at its core um i still think collectors collect what they like and want to fill their house with it uh people who get into collecting art then turn into de facto art dealers because they can't they got too much shit and they got to get rid of it out of their closet sort of right so there's there's when you talk about pricing there's a big difference between what do you initially offer as an artist uh and, and where are you selling and what are you at where are you what's the pro What's the upper echelons of the price range you're able to get? So I used to tell people like $1,500 like is pretty baseline for like any original work, almost no matter what size it is. And then I was humbled a little bit because I went to some, um, I went to the Tribeca ball where it's all the graduates of um, the, these are MFA students graduating from the Academy of Art here in lower Manhattan. And, you know, there was a, some, there's a fair amount of stuff that was around 15 or 2000, $2,000, $3,000. Um, but there was also a lot of stuff for cheaper and like some, some stuff for like 750, like it was a big painting that I really loved. And it was like 750 bucks. And I was like, oh, that's a lot less than I would think. We're all here in tuxedos drinking champagne. And these are MFA grads from, you know, a respected school. Like, you know, I would think that the, the, the price would be a little higher. But then on the flip side of that, you go to like the affordable art fair. Everything's $3,800 at the affordable art fair. Right, <laughs> so right. what what affordability means to differ is different for different people. And, right. you know, you, there's there's so much. There's so I've always kind of said that, like, it should be like the shoes thing. It, it I always feel like, you know, pay your rent. Like if you're going to let go and like I was talking about hoarding your work and you should have a lot of your work, like I, I, it, it's going to be different depending on who's buying it. But I always say just like, if someone asks you how much and you don't know them and you're not trying to like deal and wheel and deal or trade with a friend or something, I always say like, you know, try to get some meaningful amount of money at least, because this is something that if it doesn't have value now, if you can't sell it for 1500 for a few hundred bucks for uh, your rent money or for whatever a substantial amount of money is for you, if you can't get something that will actually affect your life and change your life positively, uh, then hold on to it because you never know when that artwork is going to be, you know, once it's part of a bigger body of your work, the value of it can go up. Something else can happen in your life and then the value will go up and that you'll wish you had this thing and you weren't selling them all for 60 bucks here and there. It's like um, Andy Warhol's soup cans. When he first debuted those, um, the gallerist was selling them, I think, you know, this equivalent of like $980 worth of buying power now. Right. I think he was selling them for like a hundred, a hundred dollars yeah. back then. So the soup cans were a hundred dollars and a lot of people bought them and like famous people too, like people who would be like Dustin Hoffman, I think bought one and like all these well-known, like it was a good show. He sold a lot of these soup cans for a hundred bucks. And then the gallerist, uh, would call the people who bought it and got and bought them back because he just had an epiphany that like, I need to keep all these soup cans together. Right. So he actually went and offered them, like, I think he took a loss and like offered them more money to buy back the things he had sold, sold to them of Andy's work once he realized how valuable this collection could be in the future. 
and then just a few years ago sold it to Mo not a few years ago but you know while right later, right sold it to MoMA for like 23 million dollars or something because it was like a complete set of them so pricing your work i would say like you know especially now when we have like a digital age where we can do prints easily we can make additions if somebody wants to get your work on their wall they either want to own the work they want to own the original or they just want to see it in their house so there's a million avenues for you to go through while without being pretentious you know thinking artists thinking that you're selling your work for too much but like you really should hoard your originals in, in some like sense that. like you know like you can make it you can sell a print you can make merch you can sell an nft or whatever but your original body of work at the end of the day is like if if somebody if it gets recognized at all which most art won't be and that's okay too making art so it's still a very good thing to do even if nobody sees it but at the end of the day like yeah you need to uh get something meaningful you know, pay your rent like get get something off your back and once and and don't be surprised when somebody actually is okay with paying that much you know it's like people want to support you like people who buy right. your work want want to do something nice for you people and as much as i think that art is something that's for everybody and like every it, everyone should live and breathe and understand it and say it's a, a benefit for everyone it's not an elitist thing at the end of the day it is a luxury good right because you everyone else has got to shop for food you know their their clothes like you know everyone else is living paycheck to paycheck uh saving away for their retirement they're not thinking about investing in owning original art it is a luxury market so people don't want cheap shit and that's just like it's rather than telling people a number like i'll give people a number if they ask me to price their work but i think it's more of the, the mentality of like understanding what it exactly a buyer of original art is looking for like right. what are they buying it for what's the reason sometimes it's just to flip it if you're like a hot commodity they'll mm -hmm. buy it and they'll try to get as cheap as they can and so they can turn around and sell it for more on the secondary market that's interesting it's almost i mean so basically in some ways your prices should just kind of vary depending on your audience if you're at one you shouldn't just keep the same price so like if you're with a gallery you're going to increase it a good bit um, and if you're at something that's a little bit more local or kind of grassroots, then maybe, you know, the goal ultimately is to sell the art or is the goal is to maintain a certain status. Right. That was, well, that's, that's the question. Cause like, that's yeah. different for everybody. And I think that, you know, having variable pricing is something that happens a lot. And it's one of the reasons that art pricing is so obfuscated where like there's even a joke like if you follow jerry gagosian on instagram she's a great um you know art world uh, satirist, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah right and one of her hats in her gift shop says nothing is available because yeah. it's like and it makes me about like yanking your client back and forth from saying it's nothing's available to we're going to make a one-time exception to you and telling people they can't have something and like oh it's going to cost you a few hundred thousand dollars because it's you know blah 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 and there's a whole other world out there of like the, the that stuff but I think that it is, you know, you can make, it can be a bad look to like price things differently too much. And mm -hmm. that's why I always say, that's why I say make it meaningful for you and make it something that does that, you know, you treat your art with respect. It's your baby, you made it and hoarding it is not a bad thing. It's, you know, being overwhelmed with its amount of it is not a bad thing. Like that's when you're a real artist in my, in my mm -hmm. brain is like when you've got too much shit and you're like, where the fuck do I put all this? then you're a real artist uh you know yeah. once you're like actually need to worry about storage and shit um and you want 
want to be selling. I think you want to be like always growing and you always want your, you want your cost to be always going up. So there's depends on where you start, right? Like you could start selling stuff for 60 bucks a pop for whatever you can get. And then your work, the same work could go for like 60,000 later just because of the way the market works, but you're going to have a big rung up. You know what I mean? You're going to have a long time of not making very much money on it. If you start too low, you know, cause you don't want to run around going, this is a thousand for you rich people. And this is a hundred for my friends and, and right. doing that openly. It's not, no one, no one likes that. You know, everyone's going to be like, Hey, you're okay. kind of a dick. Uh, right. But you know, so you want to, you want to start somewhere that's like actually an impactful, meaningful thing to you and do your best to, if you have an audience who can't afford it to, you know, s- supply them with something they can, Right. You can have stuff that's 20 and, and thing if it's different materials or an edition or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. a print. Like that's that's one way to do it. Cause if you start too low, then you've got a lot more rungs to climb up until you are making like living on your artwork money. Right. Well, if you need 60 grand to live on your art, I mean, I guess 60 grand a year, but not per painting. In my mind, you know, if, if I were to start, which if things go well in my day job, then uh, I really want to buy a uh, studio or rent out a studio there's this place in downtown houston that it's like basically an apartment complex but instead of apartments it's all studios and every second saturday and like fourth saturday they open the doors and people come through it's mainly second saturdays and it's a pretty cool setup and they have a few studios that are still available um i was like man that'd be really cool because the main main job the main thing i'm trying to start is an artwork as a service uh type of business so you're kind of renting out with all this extra art people have you put it to work and you get some extra passive income for it and it's being you know held up in a law office or something so it might lead to commissions uh so i thought it'd be cool to rent out a studio space to kind of advertise all the different artists that would you know you'd be able to rent from so people walk in they're like oh this is super different be like yeah we're basically you know we're doing it different but um a part of me would be like man it'd be it really would be cool and whenever I was um, around like college age, I remember thinking like, all right, in one life that I have, I'm going to try to just make a lot of money and whatever. Uh, if I had a second life, I would do something like be a lawyer and fight like food policy to help make the country healthier, you know, really dedicate my life. And I was like, if I had a third life and I just really went off on it, I'd be an artist because it just seems so impossible to just be able to actually make beautiful art and then sell it. But the idea that, yeah, if you start off, just figure out how much you actually need to run your life where you're not stressing financially so for me it'd probably be about 3500 bucks a month is it so if i sold like three paintings or so or you know you do the math and you figure out what you what type of work you can, you're willing to do hourly basis how long it takes to do the art and then start to do the kind of and i guess a lot of people wouldn't like to think of it that pragmatically but if you can maintain that same price point and really just bust out a lot of paintings and, and really do the social thing go to all the galleries meet people and i'm thinking really for houston in terms of because it's a mm-hmm, different mm-hmm. market than other places you know but i would imagine it's a lot easier uh to kind of establish yourself here and um but yeah i mean that's that would be like the the left brain side of me would be like all right maybe every piece should be like 500 or 750 and then just really try to work on selling you know four pieces on a second saturday plus do some other thing and have some prints and then just try to meet the rental income for the for the studio the apartment car everything okay cool no more because for me personally that stresses me out i can't even think if i can't pay if i (laughs) can't pay my bills dude it's like yeah I'm, I'm, I fall into like, just, I just fucking lose my brain. I am not a fun person to be around. 
it's the most stress just thinking about it. my heart rate's increasing like not being able to pay for stuff you know oh god it kills me and it's nothing special it's right. just paying your rent you know and struggling to right. sucks ass so yeah figuring out that, a price point yes that okay. trope i think that trope of the starving artist is connects back into kind of what i was saying where like you know um it's it's difficult and you have to be it's a compulsion it's something you're going to be doing anyway and if you approach it like a business there's tons of artists who do that with a lot of success like i think of like um you know there's this i can't remember his name there's some guy who advertises on facebook so aggressively it's like every time i open facebook i've got an ad for him <laughs> uh and his whole his whole thing is that he's got like really minimalist clean looking contemporary kind of modern art uh that are it's all under 200 bucks and like that's the whole his his whole point is like realizing that two, under two hundred dollars is kind of like impulse buy, uh, middle class impulse buy. Territory. I love it. So he's really <laughs> cranking out these abstract, simple paintings that's just like you know, a, a, like here's a little right, bit of paint right, on this right. thing. But the marketing is so clean, and in my mind, like his marketing is more interesting than his artwork because right, right. the artwork's like the object is going to do a good job with marketing but you know i was on this i'm doing this podcast now called lucky time explosion with okay. um morgan jesse lampin and this guy called the super suck lord and on that first episode that we just dropped uh, suck lord talks about uh how you know he had his studio and he didn't really find his thing until he had to pay rent like he had to pay rent on the 700 studio and he so he had to make something that people would buy and he started cranking out like these action figure collab like toys and it kind of worked for him. He's been doing it for like a decade now or more. Um, oh, that is so cool. It also goes back to my favorite advice for artists. It's uh, if you want to be an artist, don't, Just don't <laughs> <laughs> unless you have to, like if you right. have to be an art. And that's kind of the idea of the, that's that whole trope of the starving artist is like, if you are in a position where you like have no, marketable skills because you've spent your entire time crafting and owning a, a certain kind of art style uh and now you have to live like a human in society and all you've got to offer is your work then that's when people find success a lot of times because they're so focused and they have to do it and like if you have to do it you're either going to burn or you know bust to bust or, or right. fly yeah. off yeah. and so putting that kind of pressure on yourself is it, it's an interesting dichotomy that artists are either this thing where you're like you have to make the work to survive so you're pushed to make interesting work or that you are so privileged that you now decide to just sit back and paint all day it's like right. it's like it right. comes back and it's like a horseshoe theory or something right right where once you get enough money you just like fuck off and paint in your studio or if you're destitute and you're like you need to figure out how to make shit work you're in your painting in your you know studio painting yeah. So I, I think especially now, though, we export so much entertainment, like, you know, we don't make anything here anymore. So we just like export entertainment and and artwork all, all the time. So there's a there's more competition, but there's more interest in it as well. Right. And I, I think that it can be uh, it can be a little disheartening for people to get into the scene and the sales aspect of it and see the motive the motivators behind people buying artwork you know it's not always just that and and i've even seen artists talk themselves out of sales because they will not let the buyer like project themselves onto the the work you know like they're sitting there in this 
they're sitting there in the studio or the gallery and the, and the buyer's like, this reminds me of a boat trip to Paris. I took one time, you know, and then, <laughs> and, and then the art, yeah. the artist comes up behind them. Like, Actually, that's about a boat um, building experience. I had in Milan or whatever. And it's like, Oh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, now I don't care. Just, just be quiet. Just paint and just let people think what they think and just yeah. sell the work. Uh, yeah yeah that's a good point yeah if people come up and they have a completely different view of it you're just like okay yeah that's fair that's for everybody's yeah. interpretation you know i have i painted it i know but whatever um that's that's funny that's interesting um i think that's okay. why you see a lot of work about money actually you know yeah um it makes sense that especially if the people that are buying are rich they probably had that point in their life too that, yeah um so do you have any systems in place for managing your finances, tracking expenses, invoicing clients or any of that type of jazz? I mean, I usually I, I work within whatever system of the establishment I'm working with for myself, for my personal work. Um, I definitely don't. It's a it's a contact list on my phone of people who have bought <laughs> my work in the past, basically. And I just try to. You know, I try to just keep focused on the work. And that's one of the reasons that I work in the arts and wanted to work in the arts, but not forcing myself to make money with my own art. Because my own art is something that keeps growing and, and improving, in my opinion, and that I keep trying to do better and that I like to sell, but I don't have to sell it. Because uh, if I, you know, if I'm working, for and I get this a lot of the same gratification. I get a paycheck and I'm helping other artists. And then this my personal stuff uh is I'm not that interested right now in needing I don't need to sell it yet. So right. I'm just trying to work on it and trying to foster, trying to I'm like giving advice to artists while testing it out myself, kind of vibe, like you know. Yeah. And I just it's just about who you know, and I'm just trying to meet good people and 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 build, you know, my circle of people around me who have similar values or, or share um same opinions on work uh but you know, for like financial systems and stuff like it, it is something that artists fail at constantly and i'm i'm like the worst fucking organized person in the world and through working on the other side of it now i'm like okay you need like a spreadsheet you know you need to get right. your full you know fill your forms out you need to keep track of your clients you need to you know send a mailchimp you know i've learned more about like social media i've learned so much about how to market and this was stuff that i was basically wholly uninterested in yeah as 100%, an artist 100 you know yeah. and now i now i have to do it for yeah, work and so ass. now i can see the value in it yeah. and i can tell and i can try to implement it myself so right. I, I i was i became anal and i became like organized again out, out of necessity, necessity. Yeah. yeah yeah i thought that like whenever i was a kid it might be something i just might have missed a boat on but like in in middle school and especially high school whenever like freshman year english class we learned about like pathos egos and ethos and logos whatever and uh, it's just like revolutionary. And so I'd go home and I'd watch TV and I'd be like, oh my God, they're trying to pull up my heartstrings on this commercial. Oh, this one's a lot more logical. This one. And so I started thinking like like this like New York City ad agency in my head. And I just all the times was just keep thinking like, oh, that'd be a great. I didn't even know what copy was, but I'd be like, oh, they could, they could say it this way or they could use this word. Oh, I see what they're doing there or whatever. And then all of a sudden, after, I don't think I didn't think about it in college and now I'm like, I don't think like that anymore. Like I'm any, I'm so bad at all of that type of stuff. Cause it just, 
it's so much anxiety to have to sit there and it's just overwhelming be like all right i gotta make an instagram post or, okay i gotta like do this uh edit this podcast okay i gotta go like create more flyers or cards for the business and i gotta go talk to these people you're just like oh my god i suck at all of this it looks like, like such shit. i don't really produce anything it just freaking tears me apart i'm like man i'm such a failure at this stuff because to get good at one thing you got to get good at all the other stuff yeah, there's a reason my paintings take two minutes to create. Uh, it's because I'm spending, I'm trying to do it daily as, as daily as possible, and it takes 25 minutes to upload and everything. Right, right. So yeah, it's exactly. like I take, I paint for 20 minutes, I paint for two five minutes, and then I go upload to social media for the next 25. Yeah. And there's my 30 minute like jog before I go to work to work on other artist stuff. You know. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay um so what what type of challenges have come up in the career obviously kind of like tapped on it but like i guess what challenges within your own career both with as just a art person in the arts and as an artist that kind of surprised you that you want to let people know that might be starting off or haven't come to that yet hmm. yeah um there's so much to say there i think one thing that surprised me or that i kind of like made a mistake and like full you know kind of went into too much was honestly the curation of your the people around you like i've had a lot of things that seemed to be like a good move at the time but i was going against my better judgment a little bit and saying you know this person's gonna be fine to work they they may be giving me these red flags but at least there's x you know what i mean uh and and i and then it ends up not working out and destroying something more you know than than you could like you, you want to like i think that y your reputation is something that's sometimes out of your control and you know as long as you do you come from a a, a solid place of uh wanting to do good good things will happen regardless but uh typical pitfalls are just like jumping you know jumping in a little too much or i'm trying to i'm trying to word this as best as i can i feel like um you know you can waste your time uh um sort of like affiliating with uh with a group like look around you and say like is this where i belong you know, like, is this, are the people around me talking about art the same way I'm thinking about it? Are they showing the kind of work I want to show? There's this mentality to get in where you fit in and to get in anywhere that artists have. Well, they'll, they'll end up like applying for um, a residency or an opportunity or a show that really doesn't fit them. It's like this show is not like I, uh, the example I'll give is like I paid a $50 fee to like be considered for some show up in, like upstate somewhere when I was first starting out. And then I did my homework after I paid my 50 bucks and after I'd sent, you know, my art in, then I really took a hard look at the place that I was sending this to. And I was like, why the fuck did I do this? This is yeah. like a neo-Nazi like antique. It's like an antique <laughs> yeah. shop or that. That's <laughs> yeah, even worse. Right, yeah. Like right? you could end up in, the, in a yeah. political uh, movement that you don't agree <laughs> with. Right. You end up, you end up going yeah. like, and that's happened to me a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm cis, what am I, it's a heteronormative cisgendered white dude, you know, I yeah, I'll be like, yeah, shit, yeah, 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 and then, <laughs> the next thing I know, the person next to me is going, yeah, and you're a piece of shit, I'm like, wait a minute, Fuck, I don't want to, I don't want to be here being abused because yeah. of who I am, um, but yeah. you know, yeah, exactly, it's like, well, that's just other races, 
it's just regular racism. Anyway, um, they, you know, I'm not crying that, but uh, right. you know, just even look where <laughs> look where your look where you want your art to go, and doesn't make sense because you'll waste a lot of time submitting to stuff that's not good for you. You'll you'll waste a lot of time submitting to things that are that aren't going to have a good conversation with your work. They're not in this in the right place. Like you know, you should I should not be submitting to a um, a landscape gallery if my stuff right. is like cartoony abstract expressionism. And we don't think about that a lot. And we kind of like just jump into whatever we think is available, whatever is the best thing at the time without really trying to do our homework and understand it because we're so desperate for attention and desperate for moving the needle along right. in our careers. And we can do a lot more needle moving in the studio than we think. We don't, you know, going out there, you know, be a little bit more reserved, I would say, with like, you know, where you show and what you want, where the context in which you want to show your work. Because it, it not we don't need to all be showing all the time everywhere that's possibly you know around like you waste a lot of time doing shows where that don't that aren't going to help you like you have to understand the purpose of the show which is to get your work seen and who is going to see it and why you know it matters a lot less because now we have the internet and now we can just like show our stuff off to millions of people in online venues and even that right. you know same thing now you're gonna have a lot of online venues that won't make sense for certain people like the whole nft wave when all these painters started trying to get into nfts because they heard they could make money on it but the market for nfts was occupied specifically by crypto enthusiasts who liked generative pixel art right and so there wasn't it wasn't the right venue for like you know a, an oil painter who paints like landscape photos outside you know right that, exactly but you waste yeah. a lot of time trying to trying to just uh, do whatever the hot thing new thing is and and people are just real buyers and, and real art people want you to be the next hot thing and so you should care less right exactly <laughs> yeah it's like counter artists almost like um you know if you're the type of person that's just painting away and like you just keep painting like keep doing your thing um yeah everything kind of ebbs and flows but if you study with your career uh okay last question because you kind of touched on it earlier like you mentioned TikTok. i don't even have a TikTok. Yeah. um you're yeah. on instagram what yeah. what suggestions what do you do for online stuff what suggestions do you have what do you plan on doing well i you know i've always been on social media and been aware of social media and felt like i had a pretty good understanding of of it, but it wasn't until TikTok that I got any meaningful amount of followers, uh, you know, to to be like a micro celebrity or whatever they call it on social mm -hmm. media, like and I, like nothing. I was like thirty five k on TikTok, but I did think it was interesting to note that those thirty thousand people, like you know, I I started my TikTok and I was like, I don't want to mix the people who follow me already. I want to see. What organic because i started to think more like this you know more after being behind the counter at the gallery for so long i was like let me see what the organic growth of tiktok is possible like what can i do well i'm gonna have a secret tiktok basically not tell anybody about it so i'm not trying to funnel in followers from my other stuff i want to see what the organic growth on the app can be like and pretty quickly i hit the same number that i had on instagram and I was just doing kind of bad videos like if you look down there they're like letterbox they're just music it's not um personal it wasn't you know me talking or anything and that's when i got like 30 like i had a rush something went viral and it got like a rush of people all in within three days so like all of a sudden three days i grew like thirty-five thousand 
uh, people. And it's been kind of sitting there for a minute while now because I, I found something good and I worked it and I posted every day and I made sure that I was posting every single day. And that kept feeding back into old content because that's how the TikTok algorithm works. I think every different media, social media is going to be a little different. But for TikTok specifically, it will like feed back in your old content. So I'm still getting comments and likes on the one video I have that has like a million or set two million views now, you know, because I keep pushing the other ones out. And the big thing I noticed was that it happened after I made the decision to start speaking with my voice on it and actually talking and actually being more personal. Well, thanks. I think I I grew up in... San Diego or like Southern California. I think I sound a little Huntington Beach stoner sometimes. But yeah, that's people. Uh, <laughs> people like. That's what the market wants. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but you know, I think I think it was just like talking, and I was like a little bit more vulnerable, even. You know, and like when I right. made that decision to be a little bit more vulnerable and be like, why don't I Bob Ross one of these? Because uh, you know now now I call me the Bob Ross of TikTok. But like when I went on there, I said, let me Bob Ross one of these. I'm going to try and talk while I'm painting in VR here. And it wasn't that that like jumped off, but that's what started it. And then I started doing that. And I was like, you know, I bet it's like they say, you know, it's why, why are all these influencers kind of vapid and like, and sucks kind of is because they're, it's all about seeing your face, about feeling like, you know, the person 100%, it's, an, it's an emotional yeah, yeah. connection. And then sometimes they don't go that much deeper than that. Right. You know, so I don't show my face on my TikTok. I just hear my voice, but my voice is enough to feel more like a, like that kind of human connection. Right. So I think that like being authentic, obviously, and just um, putting yourself out there a little bit, it that's when that's when things happen. I think is when you you worry less about what you're doing, as far as like what hashtags am I making and blah blah blah, and you just be a little bit more vulnerable and actually, um, you know, have try to have a human connection like. People right. respond very well to that. Actually, they don't want the mm-hmm. highly crafted, shiny thing. They want right. a real person. Right. Yeah, I've I've, um, I've noticed that too. That like if people show their face on, even just for me, like if, they, if I'm looking for artists, and there's one person just shows paintings, like put photos of their painting on a wall, like right. that's the dumbest account ever. And then there's some people that sh- like they show them painting and they show them like smoking pot and doing a kickflip on a skateboard. And you're like, oh, this right. guy's cool. He's a painter, but he does other stuff. Like it's it's cool. It's attractive. Like there's a whole lifestyle with it. Whenever people see that, like most people, you know, their favorite artist is their three year old kid. The kid sucks at painting, right, or whatever drawing, but they still put the art on the fridge because they love the hell. They love that dude, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. so they're always going to support it. They're a fan of the person. And I've noticed that with artists, you're like, your art sucks, but your husband's a lawyer and you're a very friendly person. And so you just socialize all the time. And now you're selling this vomit uh, for like five grand. It's just insane. But people like you. They know they know you. And they're willing to spend that, you know. Um, and so it just it makes sense. You're like where the price point is. It so much has to do with like who who the artist is, like who, who you're you're actually buying from like what you're investing in is this person and um yeah i think that's interesting yeah showing the face it's kind of funny though like it definitely has a downfall where it's just like super hot chicks and they're always pretty good painting but you're like damn i love watching her paint and it's the same with dudes too it's just you know if they're really attractive online you're like oh that's really cool and they always show their faces Yeah. yeah it's always discouraging and it'll it'll happen to you if you paint enough and if you make enough art and you show art one day you're 
you're going to have a buyer who you get really excited about because they, they pay top dollar. They don't argue. They want to give you more. They tip you more money. And then you're like, oh, do you just like me because I'm cute? Uh, like, you know, <laughs> you're like, oh, no. Like, like do you actually do you actually like That's the work? Fine. You know yeah. what I mean? There is. There is a lot of that. It's like um, it, you, and that's one of the reasons I think like it's important to like go separate this stuff a little bit and like be about your work in the studio um, more than the the showing stuff because the showing and the personality building and all that like that can be an art in itself. And a lot of artists have already manipulated that and played with that as the concept for their work. The early early internet art was all about that. You know, the early YouTube videos. Um, like I, I love Brad Trammell. He does a really great series uh, on Patreon. You can see some of his videos on YouTube where he breaks down like early net art. Oh, it was one of the most recent ones. And, you know, the, the cult of personality is such a very real thing. But at the same time, there are people who really appreciate the work in an art historical context and are about the work and not about the hype and not about the person. Those people do exist. You know, there are people in museums and institutions who really care about the work you're doing. And the more that you can talk about the work you're doing, the more you really understand the work you're doing, the better it goes with the hype train, because then it can be about these frivolous things. But if you build your identity and your work is around just the hype train, looking cute, you know, doing the kickflip, like then at right. the end of the day, you have a wall that you can't go past because you're not going to be like the, you're not going to end up like making a major contribution to, right. you know, art history. You're going to be like a little flash in the pan because you're so focused on these other things. Yeah. It's like the best painters I know are so humble. Uh, they're like, oh, I'm not that good. And like, like, you know, they look like they've stepped out of an LL Bean catalog. They look boring uh -huh. as hell. They look super vanilla milk toast, but their but their talent speaks for itself. And then there's the people who have like, you know, big furry um jackets and like a uh like a, a green visor, and they're like all super fashioned out, and then their artwork's fucking completely yeah. devoid of any substance. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think at the end of the day it should be about the work and you should you should focus on that and yeah. then let the things let have fun with it uh, have right. fun with marketing because it's easier than ever now you know you don't need a whole team and you don't need to spend all your time doing it but figure out a system that works and just uh really focus on the work and let the work speak for itself because as a curator and as somebody who's looking for talent a lot of times when i see it i know it and i doesn't I'm like, wow, like, look, you can see the work in the work when somebody spends hours and hours and hours practicing every day and getting better and improving and growing. And they're not just, like you said, churning out some vomit uh, right. and then you using their connections to sell it. When someone really does focus in on a craft or, you know, a, a series of artwork that has a deep meaning and, and requires some skill in some way you can see the work like people see it and mm -hmm. that will get afford you opportunities in the future because you've worked it's like i make the analogy i've done the, made this analogy a couple of times where it, it's like if being a lumberjack was like the best paid um job in the Career, world yeah. and every everybody wanted to be a lumberjack um being a lumberjack was like the most glamorous and highly paid job you could ever have um but in order to start you had to clear an entire forest for free by yourself that's mm -hmm. what being an artist is like you have to do a lot of work um for yourself and and you have to do a lot of artwork you have to make a lot of art before you can really start on your path 
to, you know, making it a career and then selling your work for a living. You have to get attention for your work for the right reasons. You have to, you know, have a good body, understand it, like work through stuff. So it's like, yeah, if you had to clear a whole forest for free and then you could be, you know, considered to be joining the lumberjack team, that's what it feels like. And that's why it's really discouraging. And that's why it's, uh, people say, don't do it unless you have to do it because, it is a lot of work that you have to do for a reason other than money because it's just not going to immediately come in unless you're working some sort of scheme that's really, you know, devised and made and optimal, optimized to make money. And then at the end of the day, I feel like, you know, you're kind of more of a celebrity than, a, than an artist. Like, you know, a, an art is very subjective to people. So what does that mean? But I really do think that you can see the work and you can see the thought behind things. So you've got a lot of work to do in the studio before you can run out and think about, uh, you know, how you're going to make it. Yeah, it's it's interesting. That's one of the first conversations I had was with an artist. It's like just super type A. He's like, no, I fuck everything. I put in like eight hours a day. And I'm like, all right, I like that idea. And then you talk to some other artists and this guy's making good money. He's like, he's like, yeah, I chatted, you know, I tried dealing with like five different art dealers or gallery people or whatever they have all these big promises nothing happened and then you know the sixth person came along and he went with each one of them nothing really panned out cause it didn't really cost him a lot and then the sixth person that came along was like hey i really do like your art i actually am connected i could really help you and then he's like yeah after that my shows were like all over i had shows in like different countries and whatnot and uh and it went off and you're like okay the eight hours a day really paid off um right and then but i know like some artists personally that haven't done anything really and they're great people, fun, beautiful, all that. But they don't put in the work. You know, they're not like clearing the forest. They're just kind of trying yeah. to cut it, cut a branch down, whittle it, and then sell it. And um, and that's one thing you're like, yeah, definitely. Like that's that's the that's the magic recipe is getting in those long hours. And the cool thing with art, um, I think compared to other stuff, it's not like you don't really get tired per se, right? Like, and you're not. It's not like. Um, I mean, you could get tired, but I'm thinking like you can't put in eight hours of tennis practice or you can't like be putting in even eight hours of golf or do triathlon, every, but you can be making art. And it's like you come up with the idea, you know, your technique and a lot of it's really just doing it now. It's just it's like replacing, you know, the white canvas with the different layers that need to be there and creating you know, the art if you're painting. Um, it's like uh, you can definitely still put in those eight hours a day it's still working you're still like ideating and then you're just applying it you're actually doing the painting yeah. and eight hours is a shit ton of work on honestly but even like four hours a day day in day out i'd imagine is yeah does that sound accurate <laughs> I, I sort of like i i feel like i i know what you're saying because i have that same kind of one of the reasons i love the idea of being an artist and making artists i feel like i can do it forever and at one, you know, like Matisse, when he's dying in his deathbed, he's still cutting stuff out with like paper, um, like instruction paper, even though he couldn't hold a brush anymore. Like you can always find a new way to create. But I also think that you can't escape work. Like work is work. And if, even if you set it up for yourself or you're working for yourself and it's almost worse, it's like that, uh, that saying, which is like, uh, do what you love and you'll never work a day because you'll always be working constantly. Right, It'll exactly. always be on. You can't turn it off. You can't clock out. Sometimes I miss being a barista because I would just sit there and like make coffee, drinks and chat with people. It was a nice job, kind of clock out mentally. It felt like relaxing. That's less tiring than uh, than like sitting down and having to create art. Like it's very mentally 
physically exhausting it can be and you should be having fun with it. hopefully you're having fun with it otherwise like you know but the tortured artist like i'm compelled to make this and i don't want to do it um, <laughs> right. but i think you should have i like having fun i have fun with it too but it is it still gets to be work and then especially when you have to do the actual logistic stuff of maintaining lists calling yeah. people contacting working with others and like you said with your friend the story with your friend like there that's one of the reasons that like galleries take 50 percent why why do they take 50 what other industry do, does the person you know besides a pimp like, oh uh, what really gonna say a pimp that's where <laughs> prostitution yeah that's the that's the other one right and in a way it's kind of it's kind of like that but uh, you know when i first started to work i was like that's usurious that's terrible that's abusive and then you know when i worked behind the scenes i was like if i could find a gallery that could regularly sell my stuff for like 10k I'll give them 70%. Like, you know, I just, I just want to be able to make the work and not think about this shit anymore. So, and like you said, there's so it's a small world and there's like six people he went through and the sixth person actually was able to help him. Right. You know, like, yeah. So it's one of those things where people take a lot because there's a lot of work to be done on the other side and that you don't know who's got access to what or who. Um, which is why, you know, maintaining your own stuff is good too. But you, your goal as an artist is always, I, I feel like the goal is to get to a point where you can just make work and have somebody else deal with that. Uh, that's like step number one. And then step number two is uh, getting to a point where you don't even make your own work anymore. And you just like walk into a warehouse and you just ideate all day and you just go, I want this to happen. And then you have a team of like 25 artisans who will whip it up for you. And that shit's been going on forever. That's not like an invention of Jeff Koons or, or an invention of um, like even Frank Gehry or anything like that, you know? I went, I, went, work hands uh-huh. I went to a Banksy exhibition in uh, um, Mexico City. And the fun thing with Banksy, obviously, is that like there's just so much mystery surrounding everything. and But you know that they're making mad money, who, they, whoever they is. And uh-huh. it's like they make the whole thing art in and of itself. And so just walking in, I was like, this is just, it just made me laugh. It was just... It was like, yeah, I've seen the pictures. It's cool. But like someone painted this here in Mexico City. This isn't anything to do with the actual dude. If there is really just a dude, right? It seems like it's like a collective of people that maybe there might be. I don't know. The whole thing is just kind of fun. And then you think about how much money they're making. And they're like, all right, dude, you have how many of these going on tonight around the world? Right? You have like 10 different you know, cities that have this. And it's all the same shit. And we're all paying like 60 bucks a person. And here you go. It's just a well, lot of money. That's actually an interesting thing because we had the, one of those here, Banksy Genius or Vandal shows here in, yeah, in yeah, town. Yeah. That's not him. He's not making any money on it. So, like you know, Banksy oh, really? got yeah, Banksy got popular by doing um, by doing the work, by being in the studio that is the street, by making poignant and interesting you know stencil graffiti art, and kind of pioneered that. And years, and then you know his show in LA blew up, and people started collecting it directly from him. And he got huge to a point where he's so well known that now he is the commodity level artist. So these shows you see a lot of the times they're they're unauthorized. Uh, you know, even museums have shown unauthorized show of Banksy. There's just enough of the work out there in the world and enough people have bought it that I think what happens is a lot of the collectors get together and they say, hey, I love money. Uh, let's put all of our Banksy's together on loan and, and do a tour and then pay charge people 60 bucks. So you're actually paying 60 bucks 
to the person who bought the bank CEPs. Wow. Uh, so it's like you're going to go see, you're going, you're paying 60 bucks to go to their house and see the fact that they could buy right. a bank CEP. You know, uh, it, it's weird. And that happens with artists a lot. And like, it's like, I think of, um, uh, you know, artists who see their work come up on the auction block at Christie's and Sotheby's. Like, if you're still alive and your stuff is going to, to auction and Sotheby's and, and, and selling for millions, you could have never sold a painting for more than $6,000 in your life. And then uh, the hammer comes down for like three mil at Sotheby's. You don't see any of that money. Uh, right, but right. now your work, now your work is worth three mil, and now you can try to do another show and, and capitalize on it. So, yeah, the secondary market's very um, interesting to say right. the least. And that's what I'm aware trying of to make that. money. Yeah, and that's what I'm trying to make yeah. money on. Essentially, is with Freeman Art Company. It's uh, I'm like, man, I don't want to just go out and buy art. I'd rather get to know you and be like, hey, for fifty bucks a month, can I rent out one of your smaller pieces? And then every uh, three months or so, I'll come back to your studio and rent out a new one because I don't have any tattoos. I don't like having the same stuff. At least I think that. And so I like to switch it out and it makes me think a lot more. I'm like really provoked by like the colors and the differences. It really impresses upon me, you know, tremendously. And I was like, man, this would be cool, like on a corporate level. And so, yeah, the idea is either like we basically have our own collection that we buy from artists or, you know, originals or uh, prints that we frame and then go to so we can kind of control costs to make it easier for the customer. Uh, but then right. also you could turn around. Anybody can use the app. So if you're a collector or an artist or a gallery and you have a lot of art and people aren't coming into the gallery or whatever, then you can flip the model and go to them. And so they're still like renting or having the art and you get a low price point. So it's still an original, but it's like it's much cheaper. So you're much more willing. And even if you end up spending more money over the course of a year than you otherwise would have on art, I feel like you get a lot more bang for the buck for the lay person because they see a lot more. They feel like they, they're getting more access to subscription. We all we all love that. Yeah. And we'll uh, definitely see an increase of lay the lay person being interested in in original right. art, I'm sure. Because everything's yeah. kind of, you know, right? Yeah, and it's been out. it's been rough trying to get obviously any type of business started, but um, yeah, I mean that's the whole goal. It's almost like a secondary market, and it's nice for the artist, I think, because they're getting their name out there. One person not make a billion dollars on their stuff. I love the idea. I have a friend named Roshni who started something similar, and interestingly, she ended up finding that she or she's getting more clients or just corporate clients that just wanted to outright buy the work uh yeah. you know they were less interested in rotating it they were more like hey, i just i like that one let's buy that so we can have that oh, sorry i have um, to go to the bathroom really quick i'll be right back okay so we can close it up yeah um oh you know i don't know if they're even around anymore i think it was like art um something like shoot, i actually forget i actually totally forget they changed they pivoted and they changed uh they changed markets and it's something like first art artists and now know, they actually. just <laughs> and now now they just sell art directly they're just like a gallery not really they're like um they're they're selling to to commercial to corporate clients right. so it's like they're they're an art dealer for businesses rather than right. people interesting so i'm wondering how this goes there's a company in northeast um in the northeast in boston that's done it called turning art and just like perfect like the perfect uh yeah simple it's exactly what i'm hoping to do it's it's a no-brainer just go to like a nice energy building energy business or whatever they have some money to spend and you're like hey we can like curate the art and we even have like a quiz your your employees can take so they can have like a say in what type of art you have um 
yeah, it's some, I don't know. We'll see how it grows. I got I definitely have to put in just like with artists. I got to put in more, more work on the sales side, which I've been doing, but it's showing a little bit of promise, but, um, I just suck so much at marketing and just like getting the word out there that I'm just driving around to different law offices and like saying hello in person. But, um, anyways, any suggestions that that's you have the way to do it? Yeah, that's the way to do it. I think, you know, it's like you're getting out there because the truth is like, no matter what you do, you learn from your mistakes. Mm-hmm. And so you just got to go try stuff and then you realize what you get to just try stuff and, and observe, you know, it's like right. you knock the hornet's nest and see what happens. And sometimes yeah. money falls out. Sometimes bees come out. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a really good perspective. And yeah. A few of the people that like I've gone to, you can't really plan. No. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's the beauty, beautiful thing about getting out there that I don't know how to put it eloquently, but it's like luck happens when you increase increase the uh the output of shots you know like if you're a frog you got to get that tongue out there baby and eventually you're going to catch something good but uh you don't get lucky um by just sitting on your hands like you have to you get you get linearly it's more luck it might be even exponentially compared to like a line like the more times you get out there you're just you're gonna get lucky it's like golf the more the more i practice the luckier i get you know it's just one of those things where Mm -hmm. the more you more you get out there the more luck you find more connections like two offices yesterday we're like oh yeah we're actually about to move to a new location so we need some art you're like okay sweet there we go well call me and buy it from me or whatever but anyways all right you you never know yeah any last parting words for uh artists out there any words of encouragement or I think I, I would give him the, the typical, the, <clears throat> my favorite Andy Warhol advice, which I think Andy Warhol said this. He said, um, when people are criticizing your work and ripping it apart, you should be making more art. When people are celebrating your work and saying it's great, you should be making more art. Basically, just keep making art and the rest of the shit will fall into place. You know, focus on the work more. That's something I see, I think there's a need for. I think people should practice more and consider more the work they're making and worry less about these things, especially as the society grows more connected together and it's easier to get your stuff out there. You know, like Mm -hmm. don't worry about your branding and your marketing or Instagram. If your paintings, you know, like learn the rules, like do the work, do some, if you really want to make artwork, make artwork and learn about art history and learn about techniques and, don't skimp on that stuff. You can teach yourself uh, and it just takes a lot of practice. So just keep making art and don't worry about what people say because it's so up for interpretation that it just takes one person saying the right thing at the right time to make it happen. But if you don't do the work, there's nothing to happen with. Exactly. Right. So if people wanted to find you, uh, Instagram, TikTok, website, what can they do? Yeah, I'm a pretty unique name. So Brandon Wise Carver sounds spelled like it sounds W I S E C A R V E R. And you can find Brandon Wise Carver pretty much anywhere. You can also go to the fakeartgallery.com. Uh, that is my personal website because uh, oh, nice. I paint in VR. So it's fake art. <laughs> sort cool. of. It's not really. It's, I'm just being cheeky. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. fun. Awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate your time. Uh, what's your TikTok? I guess it's just Brandon Carver as well, because you're big on Actually, there, you know? it, TikTok's just Wise Carver. Wise Carver, okay. Just the last name, just Wise okay. Carver. Yeah. Cool. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate your time. This is a fun conversation, a lot of really good insights, and we'll chat again For soon. For sure. All right. All right See you man. next time. Peace. Peace.